Thank you for listening to Connection Church's podcast. Today, Brandon Williams concludes the series entitled, The Greatest. In this message, Brandon talks about the greatest mission. He explains how the church is not doing what it was originally intended to do. Listen as he challenges us to take action in our faith. Well, good afternoon. How's everybody? You good? Ready to go? Good, good, good. Y'all get to sleep late, all energized, ready to go. Get, you already had lunch? Who ate lunch already? Yep, so don't be getting all sleepy in here. Ate a big lunch, you come in here and go to sleep. Um, hey, got, uh, we're going to jump into this series, The Greatest, but real quick, I want to tell you a couple of things. Some of you guys may have gotten one of those baby bottles a few weeks ago. If you got one, throw some change in it, bring it back. If you hadn't, um, it'll go to a great ministry called Choices of the Heart. So bring that back if you can. Um, but a big announcement, man, we've seen God do some awesome stuff here in the last two years. And this week, um, man, God has blown us away with some opportunities he's, he's put before us. And we're going to tell you all about those next week. So um, next Sunday, we've got one of the biggest announcements we've ever made in our church. And so if you've got plans that you're supposed to be out of town, cancel those and come back. You, whatever you are going to do, whatever you are going to do next Sunday, it'll still be there, right? But this announcement only happens one time. And so we want to announce this and let you guys know about something. And, and the reason we're not announcing it today is simply because we're trying to work out some final details on some things. But it, it, it's, it'll be worth it, okay? Um, especially if you've been a part of this ministry up to this point in any form or fashion, you'll be excited about this. So um, be back and, and it will be worth it. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 28 today. If you've been in church, I'm going to read a verse that you've never heard before, right? This is a verse that you've never heard. It's so, um, so um, just rarely spoken on that you've, never, you've probably never heard a preacher preach on it. Matthew 28, verse 18 is where we're going to start. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. You ever heard this before? I don't think you, some of you have. Okay. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's pray. God, um, Lord, I'm already in awe of what you've done here um, this morning. And God, this afternoon, I just look forward to uh, you continuing to work, doing only what you can do, God. Um, And so, Lord, we just yield this time to you and ask that your word, God, would just be good seed, God, that that we allow to sink into good soil, deep into our hearts, and God, that it would produce fruit in our lives. Just have your way here with us today, God, that we would draw near to you. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How many of you um, have ever been on a mission? Like you knew, like, like for example, how many of you guys can go shopping and you can go to the mall, you can go in the mall, buy what you need, Get out and do it all in about 15 minutes as long as nobody gets in your way. Yep, yep, that's me. I can do that. Even Bass Pro Shop. I can walk in, buy what I want, and walk out, even with all the stuff in Bass Pro Shop that I would love to have because I'm like, I can't afford it anyway. I'm just going to get the thing I need, and I'm going to leave. But how many ladies can spend all day shopping and not buy anything? Come on. You can, y'all know you can do it. You can go in for one item, and six, six hours later, you walk out with the one item, and you've looked at everything else in the store, right? And I don't even know how women and Sean Fox do that. I have no idea. I have no idea how they can do that. If you don't know, Sean Fox is our, our, student, our student pastor, our uh, worship pastor here. So um, he likes to shop. TJ, I go, yes. And uh, 
But I don't even understand that because when I go into a store, man, I'm on a mission. I'm, I'm like going in, I'm going to get it, and I'm going to come back out. I know what I'm there for. I know what I'm going for. I just want to go in and get it and get back to my car. I don't like malls. I don't like shopping. I don't like doing any of that stuff. I just want to get in and get out. I want to get in and get out. I'm on a mission. When you're on a mission, you know you're, you're going for a purpose. You're, you're doing something. And, and, you know, we just read, what do we call that scripture we just read? The Great Commission, Right? To go out into the world, to reach people for Christ, and to bring them back to Him, to, to begin to help them understand, teaching, him every, teaching them everything that Jesus taught um, us. Teaching them everything that He taught those first disciples. But let me ask you this question, because this is the question I have for you today. How are we doing on that? Come on, not, not just Connection Church, but the big, the big church, the big C. How are we doing on that? Come on. We're, we're not, if we were to get graded on that, it'd probably be like an F minus, right? I don't know if you, you can't get any lower than an F, but, but the church, we're not doing it. We're, we're not, for overall as a whole, the church is not doing what it was called to do. Anybody agree with that? Come on. We're not doing what we were called to do. We're not going out and reaching people. We're not going out and bringing in people and making disciples. We're not telling them about the love of Jesus. And I was praying through that this week, and as we were talking about the greatest mission, and originally when that came to my mind and jumped in my heart, I was thinking I'd preach on this great commission and going out. But you know the thing I've realized as I've thought about this? I think part of our problem is that the church has tried to program people who've never met Christ to go out and tell people about Jesus. We can't program people who've never met Jesus to go out and talk about Jesus. In that second service today, my wife and I renewed our vows because we didn't get to do that back in December when everybody else did it. It was really cool. I mean, like the rest of my day is going to be awesome because I planned this and she was surprised. She had no idea. So man, like for this whole week, I'm just going to milk that. Like she's going to be like, can you wash dishes? I'm going to be like, honey, Sunday, hello, <laughs> what is up? You know, and, uh, and, and, but we did. And you know, I could stand up here and talk about my wife all day long. Been married to her 11 years. Awesome. I could tell you about every, everything she does, everything she says, the things she likes, the things she doesn't. I could tell you about her mannerism. I could tell you about everything. Why? Because I know her. I know her. I could tell you about her. But what I find in church is that so many, we can't tell people about Jesus. And the reason is I, I don't know if we've really met him. And if we met him, I don't know how much time we're really spending with him, right? And, and so we can't expect people to go out who don't know him and tell people about him. That just makes sense, doesn't it? We can't expect them to go out and do that. This is the thing that I have realized through my, my walk with Christ and in ministry. If you spend time in private with Jesus, it will always lead to public profession. Private times with Christ always lead to public profession. It, you, you can't meet Jesus and not tell somebody about it. You can't. You can't be spending time with Christ and keep that to yourself. It does not work. Think about this. Who would be somebody that you can, you can just picture this in your head? The one person in the world that if you could meet them, you would just be like, wow. For every middle school girl, it's Justin Bieber, right? I mean, he's just, you know, the thing, right? Everybody's got Bieber fever. I mean, you know, it's, so everybody's just all about that. But who would it be for you that if you met them and you walked away and you're just like, oh my gosh, I just met them. And everybody you came into contact with, what would you do? Let me tell you who I just met. Oh my gosh. You know, you kind of do that like you're going to wet your pants kind of thing. I just met so-and-so. And And you tell everybody. I mean, I'd do the same thing. If I met some of the athletes that I I love and I love to watch, I'd be like, man, let me tell you who I met today. 
So doesn't it make sense that if we do that for somebody, that when we meet the God of the universe, we'd have to do the same thing? I mean, seriously, we, we, you can't meet the God of the universe and walk away and go, hmm, that's pretty cool. You can't do that. But what I think has happened, man, is we have tried to send people out who never had the encounter. Or we're trying to, to get stuff out of people when there's nothing being poured in. You remember uh, when uh, Jesus and uh, Mary and Joseph, his parents, they took him to the temple. Because see, here's the thing that I see a lot of times. Let me back up a second. One of the things that I see so much is people start this Christian journey with Jesus. And then they get to a point where they leave him behind. We start out on this religious journey. And we get to this place where one day it dawns on us and goes, you know, I'm doing all the right religious things, but I don't know the last time I actually bumped into Jesus. I'm going to church and I'm doing all this stuff, but I can't tell you the last time I really felt like the Lord spoke to my heart. I've been opening my Bible, but you know what? It's been just to spend 15 minutes with Jesus because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. And I can't really tell you that I've gotten anything out of it. And do you remember a time when Jesus was 12 years old and Joseph and Mary went to do their religious duty and they made a religious journey all the way to Jerusalem and they went to the temple and they did their worship. And then y'all remember when they left, they forgot something. You might remember that. What'd they forget? Jesus. They forgot Jesus. How do you do that? I mean, I can understand like forgetting a normal child, right? They forgot God. I mean, they're walking along like 24 hours later and they're looking, they're like, man, something, it's been really quiet today. I wonder why it's been so quiet. Jesus. And then they run back and for like two more days, they're looking for him. They're trying to find him and they forgot Jesus, you know? And I wonder though, how many times have we done that? How many times have we started on this religious journey and we get down the the path and we get down the road and we're walking and we're doing our best and we're going to Sunday school and we're going to church and we're reading our Bible and we're doing all these things. There's only one problem. We forgot Jesus. We forgot the reason that we even started out on the journey in the first place. We forgot the reason, man. And, And Jesus is over there and he's like, one day they'll realize I'm not even there. And we go through this religious routine day after day after day after day after day after day. And, and we're wondering why our life is dry and why we, we don't feel fulfilled. And it's because we haven't even, we forgot to put the key piece into the puzzle. We're missing him. And we've gone on this religious journey, this Christian journey, and we don't even have him with us. And it doesn't work, man. That does not work out. It doesn't work well for us when we try to do this religious life without him, man, he is our source. He is our power. He is the one who gives the living water that satisfies. We can't work it up on our own. We can't play music good enough. We can't preach good enough. We can't do videos good enough. We can't do it well enough to change lives, to change hearts. Only Jesus can do that. And one of the things that the church has done, I believe, in our culture is we have taken Jesus, we have put him in the corner, and we've said, sit in this chair, we'll call you if we need you. Because we can program so good, we can do it so well. If we need you, we'll let you know. When we get in a situation we don't think we can handle, we'll holler. But otherwise, just sit over there and check this out. Watch what we can do, Jesus. I want to talk to you. Uh, The rest of this message is going to be out of Luke chapter 7. Because I believe this. We'll never do the Great Commission until we accomplish our first mission, which is being with God. If you got to hear that now, because if you don't get that, this whole message is not going to make any sense, right? You have got to accomplish your first mission, 
which is being with Jesus. And remember, it is about a personal relationship with God. But when you have a personal relationship with the God of the universe, it will always work itself out in public profession. You cannot do it. Listen, maybe one of the reasons we don't tell people about Christ is because we really don't know him. Just throwing that out there. Because I don't believe you can know him and not tell people about him. I really don't. It pushes you past your insecurities. It pushes you past any obstacle. It pushes you past what might somebody think about me. Because you know that he is the only source of living water that can fulfill somebody's life. So listen to this. I want to talk to you about this woman in the Bible. This, this simple woman. She was actually a prostitute. There's a lot of those in the Bible, by the way. I mean, it's like, holy cow. It's like, I thought we lived in like some crazy times. My gosh. Like every page, you're just like, well, there's another one. There's another one. I mean, you could do like a series called Prostitute. I mean, it really, you could just talk about prostitute because there's so many of them in the Bible. But we're going to start in verse 36 of, of Luke chapter 7. I want to talk just to you about why I believe we've met, we're missing the Great Commission and why I believe that we're not taking advantage of this awesome opportunity that Jesus has given us. Verse 36 in chapter 7, Gospel of Luke says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. The first thing I think we've gotten messed up, it causes us to miss the mission and causes us not to spend the time with God, is we forgot who invited who. Right? And here's this Pharisee, and he's there, and, and, and he's like, I have invited Jesus into my home. I have invited Jesus to come eat with me. And you know, he's kind of feeling like he's got a little bit of leverage in this situation because we're always more comfortable in our home, right? And, and so here he is. He's got Jesus in his home. And, and he's forgetting the fact that the only reason he can invite Jesus to his home is because Jesus, the Son of God, decided I'm going to leave heaven to come to earth and give them an opportunity to know me. See, he thought he was inviting Jesus into his domain, and the reality of it is, it's all Jesus' domain. And there's nothing that's been created that wasn't created through him and by him and for him. And Jesus is in there, and this guy is sitting across a table looking God eye to eye, and he doesn't even realize it. That's nuts. But we get this place where we think that somehow we've invited ourselves to Christ. What do we say when we receive Jesus? We say, I invited Jesus into my heart. In reality, what it is, is we're saying, I took advantage of the opportunity that God gave me. Because we did nothing for it. He did it all. All we're doing is saying yes. All we're doing is saying yes to the opportunity he gave us. Listen, how many of y'all have ever had somebody invite themselves to your house? Anybody? How'd that feel? Don't that stink? Like, I know we've been places before, and Susan's in there, and, and, and somebody will come up, and we'll be talking about what we're going to do that night, and, and like we're talking about grilling a steak or something, and they'll be like, hey, man, you mind if we come over and grill a steak? And she's talking to him, and I'm behind her, and I'm like this. And then she's like, well, I don't know. And she's like doing like this to me, and I'm like, no, no, no. And, then, and she's like, well, yeah, yeah, y'all come on over. That would be great. And I'm like, what you doing? You know, I'm getting all mad. I'm like, why are you doing that? Man, and then I walk off and pout like my eight-year-old. And but but you know when people invite invite themselves to your house, man, that isn't fun. That isn't cool. And then here's a here my eight-year-old. He loves to do this. He'll go up to somebody and he'll go, "Can I come to your house today?" I'm like, "Boy, don't be, don't be inviting yourself to somebody else's house." I used to do that when I was little. I go up to somebody, "Can I come to your house and play?" And it'd be a bam, you know. 
And then when you, once you figure out though, you realize every time you say something, if your head does like that, you know you need to quit saying that, right? Because like, boy, you know, you wait till I get you home. You know, you've been there. And, and, that, and, and it's not good to invite yourself. If we wouldn't do that to somebody, if we wouldn't invite ourselves, to, how could we even possibly think we could invite ourselves to a relationship with God? The only way we can do that is when we think that somehow we can lower him to our standards rather than him rising, raising us up to his standards. That's the only way. And see, when you begin to realize that God's the one that made the invitation, then it puts him in a place of authority over your life that affects every aspect of your life. Listen, when you realize that he made the invitation, you realize this, I'm here to serve him, not him serve me. I'm here to serve my wife. I'm here to serve my husband. I'm here to serve my children, not for them to serve me. I'm here to serve my classmates. I'm here to serve my coworkers, not for them to serve me. And when you begin to realize that that's the way this thing flows, is from Jesus to us to other people, then that begins to change your entire aspect or mindset about how God functions and about how he works. Listen to this, because I really want you to understand. I want to read Ezekiel 36 to you. Ezekiel 36, and listen to this. This is, Ezekiel is a prophet. He's prophesying to the, to the nation of Israel, which are God's children, and he's telling us about what he's ultimately going to do through Jesus. Listen, the whole Bible, every page, every word is written to reveal Christ, okay? Even like Leviticus, you get in there and you're like, oh my gosh, or Numbers, and you're like, oh my gosh. It, it's all got a point. It's all got a purpose, and the purpose is to reveal Christ. So listen to verse 22 in Ezekiel chapter 36. Therefore say to the house of Israel, This is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am going to do these things, but for your sake, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord. Then I will show myself holy through you before their eyes. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle you with clean water and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove you, move from you a heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. You will live in the land that I gave your forefathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will give you, I will save you from all your uncleanness. I will call for the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine upon you. I will increase the fruit of the trees and the crops of the field so that you will no longer suffer disgrace among the nations because of famine. Then you will remember your evil ways and wicked deeds and you will, be, you will loathe yourselves for the sins and detestable practices. I want you to know that I am doing this not for your sake, but declares the sovereign Lord. Um, be ashamed and disgraced for your conduct, O house of Israel. Did y'all catch anything in there other than the fact I can't read? Did y'all catch anything else? It's not us, is it? It's what God does. It's all about him. It's all about what God's done for us. And we need to realize that God has given us this invitation, not the other way around. The God of the universe has invited, invited us to be in a relationship, to be in fellowship with him. Listen to this. Let's keep reading in Luke chapter 7. Verse 37. When a woman who had lived a sinful life, she was a prostitute, in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, 
and poured perfume on them. One of the things that I believe has to happen to us if we are going to be in this relationship with Christ, if we're going to um, get our mission right, spending time with him, and it's going to outflow from our lives into the lives of other people, is we've got to get to a place where our desperation for Jesus moves us beyond religious attitudes. Our desperation for Jesus has got to move us beyond religious attitudes and people with religious attitudes, right? I mean, listen, this woman, she came into a Pharisee's house. This woman who was a prostitute, by vocation she was a prostitute, socially she was a whore, and religiously she was impure and without hope. And she comes and she pushes her way into a Pharisee's house just to get to Jesus. Because I believe she knew the only hope I have is in him. Can you imagine the look she got when she walked in? I mean, it says in the Bible that, that she was well known to be a, a prostitute. She was well known to be a sinful woman. It wasn't like, you know, she had just started in the practice, right? She'd been doing this for a little while. And then she comes walking in and, and she comes to Jesus. Can you imagine the stares she got? Can you imagine what, what they thought when she walked in? And she's like, you know what? I don't care. I'm going to Christ. I'm going to spend time with him. It moved her beyond that religious attitude. It moved her on through. You know, when I was little, I hated, I hated going to church. One thing, we didn't go very often. But when we did go and we walked in, and I'm talking about when I was little, little. We walked in and I felt like I was so out of place. We'd walk in, everybody had on the right clothes. Everybody said the right thing. It's like, you know, they, all of a sudden you walk in the church and everybody speaks King James. I don't even know how that happens. But how art thou? Thou art fine. I'm like, what the heck? I don't even know what to say. I don't even know what you just said. And everything, and then everybody looked, you know, so perfect and so neat, and they had it all together. And then I looked at my family, and I'm like, man, we are jacked up. Every one of these people got it together, and look at us. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and then I hated going. I went and spoke at Rotary this week. They asked me to come speak there. And I know how people must feel when they come to first for the church, to first for the church when they come to church for the first time. Because I walked in, and they got like their little rituals they go where they stand up, say the pledge, they say a prayer, they do this, they do that. And the whole time, I'm like, I don't even know what's coming next. You know, you're kind of like, do I stand up? Do I not? Do I? I don't know. And you don't even know. And so, you know, you get uncomfortable. But the thing that I know about us is if we realize our need for Jesus, it will push us past that. It will, the need for Jesus will push us past religious attitudes. Probably the greatest miracle that happens in this, this section of scripture is the fact that a woman, a sinner, actually gets saved in the presence of religious people. That's probably the greatest miracle right here. Is that somebody actually came to Jesus with church people around. I'm serious. That's amazing. And it's because she knew the only way I'm going to get to Jesus, I just got to push through all these bigots. I got to push through all these self-righteous people. And I got to get to Jesus because he's the only one that's going to be able to make me whole. And when we get desperate for Christ, it'll push us past religious attitudes. It'll push us past all the fluff of religion and the bullcrap that we made it in our lives. And it'll get us to the heart of who Jesus is which is a God who loves us beyond belief, who has more power in his pinky than we can possibly fathom and that can just wreck our life. And it is the most amazing wreck you could ever experience when you run head into Jesus and he begins to change your life. Listen to this. Let's read verse uh, 39. 
It says, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to him himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's, who is touching him and what kind of man, she, what kind of man, now she's turned into a man, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You know, one of the things that happens in church a lot of times is we can be in close proximity with Jesus and never realize who he really is. Like we can spend our whole life in church with other believers and we're in close proximity to Christ, but we never realize who he is. We never realize for ourselves who Jesus is. And one of the things I've realized is we'll never do the Great Commission as long as I'm telling you to do it. We'll begin to do the Great Commission when you hear it from Jesus yourself. When we get close enough to him to hear it, when we realize who he is, this Pharisee sitting there, he's sitting across the table from God and he's sitting there going, if this guy were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman was touching him. He'd know. He doesn't realize that that's Jesus. That is God sitting across the table. And so many times we can be in this place where we're in close proximity to Christ, but we really don't know who he is. We really haven't met him. We really aren't intimate with him. We really don't spend time with him. We really just go through motions and we really don't even know who Jesus is. Our eyes, maybe we've never opened them to the fact that God is standing in front of us and it is Jesus. And we just, we we don't even realize it. And I believe that that's what's happening in this Pharisee. I believe that that's what's happening right here. As he's, he's sitting there, he doesn't even realize that Jesus is sitting across from him. You know, one thing I know is this. Being close to Jesus or in close proximity with Jesus doesn't change your heart. Jesus on the inside of you, Jesus in an intimate relationship with you, that's what changes your heart. And you know when your heart gets changed for Christ, you got to tell somebody. You got to tell somebody when you encounter Jesus in that way. I believe in this this whole encounter, this whole um, account we read in Luke 7, I believe that one of the most awesome things that is happening is that Jesus is moving this lady from a prison of shame and guilt into a place of freedom. He's moving her from shame and guilt into a place of freedom. And this is the other thing I know. Even This is probably the smallest service we have all day. But even in this number of people, there are those here today, right now, who are locked in their own prison. Who are locked in their own prison of shame and guilt. Who have wounded hearts. Who have had things done to them. Have done things that right now have wounded your heart. And you're sitting here right now locked in a prison. And this is what I want to tell you. If you are in Christ, you don't belong there. If you're not in Christ, then you need to get him. You need to accept the opportunity he's given you because he will bust your tail out of jail. I didn't, that rhymed, man. I am turning into the Reverend Al Sharpton. I'm telling you, I had no idea that was going to rhyme. I might be, I might just become a rapper. Right? And, and I mean, he, that's what he does. He takes you from a, a prison of shame and guilt and bondage. And when you give your life to him, he busts you out and puts, puts you in a place of freedom. Think about this. If you were in jail, you had done something really stupid. You got locked up and you were in jail for life with no chance of parole. And one day I come to visit you. We're talking through the glass. And I'm like, hey, man, I got some, I got some good news. You're like, what? I was like, I talked to the judge. And this is what he said. He said that if I will take your place then you can go free. And guess what? 
I'm going to take your place. And so the guard comes and he unlocks the door and you walk out, I walk in, and I take your place. And for the rest of my life, I'm going to spend my life in jail so that you could go free. Would you like me? Y'all be like, man, would you tell somebody? You would, wouldn't you? You'd walk out and you'd be like, man, I thought that guy was a jerk, but you know what he did? Brandon, man, he's actually a pretty good guy. I was in jail for life and he took my place. I, was, I could not get out, and he took my place. you tell somebody, wouldn't you? If you had life in jail, y'all are like looking at it like, no. Yeah, you would. You would tell somebody. You would go and tell somebody. You would tell them, I was in jail. He came in. He took my place. And you know what? Here's the awesome thing about it. That's what Jesus did for us. He went to the judge and said, listen, God, the Father, I'll go down there, and I'll take their place. He got the crap beat out of them. He died on a cross. He had a spear stuck in his side, was put in a tomb, went down, the Bible says, went to hell. He came up. He punched the devil in the mouth, knocked his teeth straight out of his head, came back up, said, what's up to the disciples? Went to heaven, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he makes intercession for you and me. That is awesome. That's the God we serve. Knocked his teeth straight out of his mouth. I'm just, bam. Just punched him. That's pretty awesome. That's a good God. That is the God you serve. If you are in Christ, that is the God that busted you out of prison. You are no longer bound to sin. You are no longer bound to anything that should overcome you because we were created to be overcomers in Christ. You were created to be more than a conqueror. You weren't created to succumb to every whim and every pressure that this world pushed against you. You've got to realize who your God is, what he's done for you, and stand up and quit taking this crap that the devil's trying to put on you. You are victorious in Jesus. The other option is this. Listen, some people have been in prison all their life. And you know what would be bad is like if you grew up in prison, you were born in prison every day, you just looked at the same four walls, you never went out of prison, you never really even knew that there was anything outside of the jail. You wouldn't even know that there was a whole big world out there, would you? And I think there are a lot of people, probably, I mean, in churches day in or week in and week out, there are a lot of people who are, are, are Christians, who they don't even realize, man, we've been in, you've been in jail the whole time. And we don't even realize that, that, that there's a possibility to be let loose. There's a possibility of freedom because we've never known anything else. And this is what I would tell you. If you feel like you're in prison, if you feel like you're in bondage to sin, if you feel like you're in bondage to, to, to this world, then the thing I would tell you is Jesus Christ will set you free. I can't do it. Nobody can do it. But Jesus can and has paid the price so that you can be set free. He has busted the gates of hell wide open. And he even says, listen, if you'll get a revelation of who I am, I will build my church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Listen, when you come to Christ, you become a part of a movement that nothing can stop. The thing I want to tell you is this. God's not dead. The church is not dead. We just got to get back to our source. We just got to get back to the power. We just got to get back to the one who can move the church forward and nothing can stop it. But so many times, man, we're just going through this religious game. And the thing I want you to hear too is this. Listen, you get busted out of prison, you got to tell somebody. And that's going to advance the kingdom. We're going to move forward. You know, one thing I hear people say a lot of times, 
I hear so many people who are, who are wanting, you know, if I could read my Bible a little more, if I could do this a little more, if I could do that a little more, then I could come to Christ. I got three boys. My oldest one, man, like 150% boy. I don't even know that's possible. But he's like rough, tough. Every night he comes in to get a bath, and you could not let him go to sleep without taking a bath because it would be like the little imprint that they do on a crime scene. It'd be like his little, his little image in the bed because he's so dirty. And so he comes in, and you know, there's some nights he gets in the water, and the water actually begins to turn black from all the dirt that's on him. You know, and he bathes, and you just have to throw the, dish, the, the, the uh, bath cloth away because it's so dirty. And, and he'll get in the tub, and some nights we'll actually have to rinse it out after he gets out because it's so, I mean, he just plays so hard. He just gets so dirty. Now, how crazy would it be for me to look at my eight-year-old and be like, now, listen, Dick, this is what, we're get, this is what we got to do. You're dirty. And before you get in my tub, I want you to get clean. And if you'll, you know, I don't care how you get some baby wipes, whatever, whatever you got to, but get clean before you get in my tub. Now, that'd be pretty stupid, right? What's the purpose of a tub? To get you clean. So you can get in there and clean the stank and the dirt and all that stuff off of you. Right? So you can come out and be clean. That's the same way with Christ. Why would we look at Jesus when they were already prophesying at hundreds of years before that God would sprinkle us with clean water and make us clean? Why would we look at Jesus and be like, I'll clean myself up and then come to you? And he's going, no, you can't. You cannot clean your sin up. That is what Jesus does. That's his job. It's just like the tub. The purpose of the tub is for us to get in it, get cleaned up, and then come out. The purpose of Jesus dying on the cross was to make you and I holy so that when we get in him, going back to last week's message, he begins to boil on the inside of us. We get 212. Woo, baby, yeah, woo. That's what happened last week. He was all fired up about that, wasn't he? And he's like, 212, man. And then we start boiling on the inside. And the cool thing about boiling water is it begins to get all the impurities out, doesn't it? It begins to boil. It begins to get them. We boil our, our baby's water before we put it in a bottle. We let it cool off before we put it in the bottle. But we boil the baby's water before, because that'd be like a mean joke. We'd be like, here, ah! you know what I mean? That wouldn't work well. And so we boil it. We let it cool off. And then we pour it. Why? Because it purifies the water. And God does the same thing on the inside of us. As we come to him, he makes us clean. He pours his spirit in. It begins to purify us. It begins to change us. It begins to have effect in our life. And then it's like, man, you get on fire and you can't help it. And it's like living water just begins to flow out of you. And you got to go tell somebody. All because of what Jesus has done. Because when we realize we've been busted out of prison, we can't help but go and tell other people. Listen to verses 40 through 47. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something. To this is when he kind of bows up at Simon a little bit. It's not like a big bow up, but he like puts him in his place. I love it when Jesus does this. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one, and he's like, I suppose, you know good, he was still trying to play this off. I suppose, he knew which one. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not pull a, put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven, little loves little. Listen, I think one of the reasons that we don't take advantage of what 
God offers us, the opportunity to be in relationship with him, is that we don't realize how big our debt really is. We don't realize how big our debt really is. I've always heard this and always heard people talk about how, you know, well, if you've been forgiven a lot, you'll love a lot. If you've been forgiven a little, you'll love a little. But the thing that I see in this is both of them had a debt they couldn't pay. Right? I mean, either way, whether you owe 500 or you owe 50, you can't pay it. And there are some people in here, man, you've done some stuff and you're like, oh, if he only knew what I, I don't care. Because my debt's the same. It's not payable. And sometimes I don't think we realize how big the gap is between us and God. Sometimes I don't think we realize just how vast that chasm is that separates us. And we don't realize the size of the debt that Jesus paid for us. I mean, come on, we're all Americans. So uh, most, well, no, not all. Um, I think we got, we got somebody who's not from the U.S. But listen, we're, we're all accustomed to the American way. So we've all probably got some debt, right? Anybody got some debt, some school loans, some credit cards? Come on, you got some debt. And so here's the thing that I was thinking about. If you go have school loans, credit cards, mortgage, you know, cars, whatever it is that you got, let's say I walked up to you and I said, how much debt do you have? And you said, I have $150,000 in debt. And I said, okay, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to write you a check for 150. By the way, if I do this, don't cat it. There's no, not near that much money in the bank. So don't do it. But I'm going to write you a check for $150,000. And what I want you to do is I want you to go cash this check and I want you to pay off your debt. Would you be happy? You'd be like, heck yeah. I mean, like I couldn't drive. I could not beat you to the bank. You'd be at the bank and be like, he better not be pulling my leg. You'd get that check in the bank so fast, paying off your debt. And you know what you do? You go tell somebody. Let me tell you what that guy did. He paid off all my debt. And that's what Jesus did for us. He paid all our debt. He didn't leave one one ounce, one, one penny, one cent for you to have to pay back. He paid the whole thing. All you've got to do is cash the check. He's giving it to you. That's all you got to do is say, yeah, I want what Jesus offers. I want a new life. I want to live in his power. I want to live in his presence. That's all we got to do is come to a place where we recognize how much we are indebted. How much, how, how big it is and how we'll never pay it back. And finally say, I need my debt paid. I want to pay it off. I want it paid off. I want it done. I want to live for God. You know what's crazy, though? If I paid off everybody's debt in here, you know what happened in about six months? Everybody would be right back in it. Because you've done that. Some, y'all might not be old enough to experience this yet. Some of you, maybe you have. You owed something, and so you finally, you're like, man, if I could ever pay off this debt. You know, it's like you get it paid off, and you're like, man, you know, I don't have that payment anymore. I'm going to get a four-wheeler. You know? I mean, come on, we always, you go, well, I got that money back. I mean, it only just need to, I mean, it'd be a shame to give it to the church or something like that. So, you know, you know what I'm saying? And so you just find another place. And, and so six months later, you just find yourself right back in the same place. And that happens with us with Jesus all the time. I mean, you meet people sometimes who have given their life to Christ. They just became a Christian. They're all giddy, man. They're jacked. They're pumped up about Jesus. They're, they're just ready to go and just on fire. And then six months later, you see them and they look like they just popped the lid off a septic tank. They're like, oh, man. Oh, God. Man, dang. 
You're like, what's wrong, man? Last time I saw you, you were like jumping up and down. What's going on? I don't know, man. Things just aren't the same. I can tell you what's wrong. You forgot how big the debt was. We forgot what Jesus has done for us. And when we begin to understand what he has done, man, we got to tell people. We can't keep it to ourselves. When he has touched our heart and changed our life, you got to tell somebody. you got to let them know. Listen to these verses. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And he's stirring the pot now, like getting it all intense. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? You know what's funny is they kind of kept quiet to a point, but when he started forgiving sins, the religious people freaked out. They, did, they flipped their lid. Like, he can't forgive sins. You know, one of the things I see in church so many times is, is we like to keep people guilty because it keeps them coming back. You ever notice that? We, we like to come to church. We're more in the Old Testament where the, we, came to, we come to church because we're guilty rather than the New Testament where we come to church because we're gracious, don't we? Because, because if we feel guilty, man, I've got to do something and get this guilt off of me. And I wonder if there was ever a place where, where you were with Jesus and where he was bringing you to a place and then he asked something of you that just seemed too much, right? Because these people were good until Jesus took it to a certain level. And then he was like, uh, they were like, I don't know about this guy now, right? And I wonder if we've ever been in that place. And maybe one of the reasons we've allowed Jesus to, to, to or walked away from Jesus is because he asked something of us that we just didn't think was possible. And maybe we backed up. Maybe we're like, whoa, God, God I don't know about that. Is there something in your life like that? That, that, that? You got to that point. And maybe your faith's grown cold. Maybe your passion for, for God has grown cold. Or maybe it's never even been on fire. Maybe it's never been boiling hot. Simply because you got to a place and you said, I think that's too much. That's what happened to these people. Last verse says this. Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know what we'd like to substitute in there more times than not? Your good works have saved you. Jesus didn't say that, did he? He said, your faith has saved you. He didn't say your oil has saved you. He didn't say your tears have saved you. He didn't say your hair has saved you. He didn't say the fact that you're going to quit being a prostitute has saved you. He said, your faith has saved you. You know what's crazy about this scripture? Is it's always made me a little uncomfortable to think about this woman coming in and, and, and crying on Jesus' feet and then like taking her hair and, and washing his feet with her hair and then kissing all over him and then you know pouring perfume on him. And I was just like, oh, that's kind of weird, man. I don't know, that's just different, man. That's kind of kind of freaky. And then and, and then I was studying it this week and it made it even more uncomfortable. Because when I was studying it deeper, you know what I found out is for a woman to come in and let her hair down according to the religious culture of that day, according to the religious culture of that day, it would be the equivalent of a woman busting through those doors, coming up here, ripping her shirt off, and beginning to wash my feet. And these people are looking at her going, what is this whore doing, man? She's in there. She's, she's let her hair down. <gasps> she's let her hair down. Somebody do something. 
Somebody take control of this situation. She doesn't need to be doing this. And you know what I think Jesus is trying to get them to see? You're so blinded by your religion that you see this as erotic. I see it as extravagant. I see it as intimate. I see it as the fact that I walked into your house. You didn't even grace me with a kiss on my cheek, and she is not quick kissing my feet. A kiss on the cheek was simple courtesy back in those days. He said, you didn't even give me the respect that you would give a normal man. And she has not quit kissing my feet. You didn't wash my feet, another sign of respect. She's so grateful to be in my presence that she's washed my feet with her tears. And this is a kicker. I never thought about this till this week. But she had an alabaster jar of perfume, something she probably wore around her neck. Very costly, very expensive. And she walks in and she begins to wash his feet. And then she takes that alabaster jar and she begins to pour it all over Jesus' feet. It was expensive. Let me ask you this question. How'd she get that? How'd she get it? She sold her flipping body for that perfume. And she's willing to pour it on the feet of Jesus and we want to hold back from him? Is that not insane? She sold her body. And see, for, for girls, that, that's got a whole other context. Than I, think to, I don't even know, guys, if we can grasp that. Right? But she sold herself to buy the perfume. And she said, you know what, Jesus? What you've done for me, man, you're worth every ounce. And she poured it out on his feet and anointed him. And I wonder, what are, why are we holding back from him? See, I think she, I think she knew. I, think, I, I know she knew Jesus. She recognized who Jesus was. My question today is, do we? Do I? Why am I holding back from him? Why am I, I mean, I'm looking at this woman and she comes in and pours out this, this perfume that she's bought with really from selling herself. And I'm like, and it's a struggle for us to give 10% of our income. Really? I mean, it's a struggle for us to, to quit having sex outside of marriage. Really? It's a struggle for us to, to be regular attenders in church and, and to be a part of the body of Christ and to serve. Really? Because I think if you ask this lady, she would say, wow, I'd do that and more. I'd even pour out the perfume that I gave myself for. That's pretty impressive. Sometimes I wonder if we're missing something. I don't know. Let's pray.